Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at GodSolutionShow.com. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. I'm Grant Persett. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first part of our interview with Greg Kokel last week. This week, we get to pick right back up with Greg Kokel talking about his new book, The Story of Reality. That book is already a bestseller in both Christian discipleship and Christian apologetics, and it is a great new book. I encourage you to get it at Amazon or wherever you buy books. Today, we're going to be talking with Greg Kokel. We've talked with him in the past about his book, Tactics, and other things. You can get all of our past interviews with Greg Kokel and everybody else that we've been able to talk with at GodSolutionShow.com. You can find out more about Greg Kokel at str.org. Again, that's str.org. That stands for Stand to Reason. Again, str.org. So please check out more about Greg Kokel there and pick up his book when you get a chance. Well, today we're going to be picking up with the second part of the interview, talking with him about the story of reality. So get ready for an incredible interview with Greg Kokel. So in part one, you are explaining and defining what reality is, that Christianity is the story of reality, everyone's reality. And you have, right. you have sections on, you call it mindism and matterism. Could you kind of expand on what you mean by that? Sure. Christianity, the Christian worldview, the, the, the Christian story of reality, is not the only story out there competing to be the real story of reality. There are others. And I broke it down in a way that I think is really um, handy, is, is simple. If you look at the first line of our story, which goes, and everybody knows this one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This line is pregnant with meaning. There's all kinds of stuff that can be drawn from that. But one of the things I want people to see is that in this world, that is the world that is being described in our story right at the beginning, we have two different kinds of things. We have visible things and invisible things. We have material things and immaterial things. In fact, we start with the immaterial, invisible God, the eternal spirit, who creates the visible world. So that sets the foundation for the kind of world that is being described here. So if you pick up a book uh, that starts out with this line, in a hole, in a ground, in the ground, there lived a hobbit, and which is the way Tolkien starts The Hobbit, uh, you, immediately you know we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, It's laying out the beginnings of, a, of, of, a, of a, an accounting of the way that world operates with different kinds of creatures. Our worldview does the same thing. In our world, we have invisible things and visible things. Now, it turns out that the two competing worldviews take either side of that equation. So um, probably the most well-known alternate worldview to Christian theism is materialism. And I call it matterism in the book because on this view, the only thing that exists is matter in motion. <clears throat> Pardon me. Their story starts in the beginning, the particles. Okay, and that's it. <laughs> um, there's nothing more. There are no invisible, immaterial things in that worldview. Another one famously put it, 
in the beginning, no, he put it this way, the cosmos is all there is, or ever was, or ever will be, famously by Carl Sagan there. And so, and so that's, their, that's their creation story, if you will. And, um, and, and notice that everything is physical in that, in that worldview. Now, uh, it strikes me that when you claim that anything, the only things that are real are physical things, well, you know, you're leaving out a whole lot of reality. You're re- leaving out all kinds of things that are obviously real, but are not things that you can access with your five senses, okay? I asked a student once at a university when he raised an objection against me on this order right here about how we know things uh, and the invisible realm, and I asked him if he knew what he was thinking. He said, well, of course I know what I'm thinking. I said, well, how do you know that? Do you know it by smelling or feeling or touching or tasting or hearing? No, none of your five senses are involved in knowing what you're thinking, but you do know what you're thinking. So that means there are more things to know about than what our five senses can deliver. This shows how, how inadequate, I think, materialism is to explain the world that we live in every single day. Keep in mind, if materialism is true, there is no morality either. Okay, there's no right or wrong, not in an objective sense, because moral obligations are not physical things. They don't extend in space. They don't uh, operate according to the laws of physics and chemistry. And this is why people who are consistent materialists are moral relativists. They don't believe in objective morality. Okay, fair enough, fine. But if that's the case, then how is it you raise an objection to theism based on the problem of evil? How could there be all this evil in the world? Well, look, at if materialism is true, there is no evil in the world. There is no evil at all. There is just molecules banging around to each other. Moral judgments entail immaterial things, which on that view don't exist. So look at this. This first alternate view, materialism, matterism, as I call it, first of all, it doesn't explain the world that we live in, because we know there are a lot of immaterial things, like thoughts, for example, that, uh, and, and many others that exist. And secondly, it can't make sense of the number one thing everybody is aware of, and that is that there's something wrong with the world. Everybody knows this, but that can't make sense of it. Okay, So, so that's one alternative, matterism, and you can see some problems there. We don't have that problem with the story of reality, because the problem of evil fits in our worldview. And um, it, it, our, whole, our whole story is about the problem of evil. From chapter 3 to the end, 66 books, how God is solving the problem of evil. So that fits right in. But then you have another alternative, um, where materialism believes that matter is the only thing that exists. Um, Eastern religion and New Age characteristically believe that mind is all that exists. So the material world doesn't exist on that view. Now, I know a lot of people are taken with Eastern religion fellows, and they think, wow, I like the idea that God is in everything. But the only, the, all that means is that God is everything, and there is nothing else. So they don't exist on this view. They are uh, an illusion called Maya. And uh, so, I mean, it doesn't sound as... as, as <laughs> it's starting to lose its luster when you realize that on that view, everybody's an illusion, okay? Well, that doesn't seem right. You know, uh, how could we know that we're an illusion? Does Charlie Brown know he's a cartoon character? I mean, mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? Right, right. Not only that, on that view, good, the distinctions between good and evil are also part of the illusion. 
So once again, you have a whole alternative worldview, mindism, Eastern pantheistic monism is more official name for it, that doesn't account for the world as we know it. It leaves out all physical things. And it also cannot get any traction on the problem of evil because the problem of evil makes no sense in that worldview. Once again, the story of reality, the Christian story, fits perfectly with the world as we experience it every single day. This is one of the reasons I think it's true. It's the best explanation for the way things are. Mm. It has tremendous explanatory power. Mm, I agree. You put it great with those words. And I, I just want to point out, did you notice that when I said, what do you mean by mindism and matterism? <laughs> I was throwing your Columbo question right, yeah, right at you. you. <laughs> uh, I, I actually didn't. I was thinking ahead to my answer, but that good for you. That's great. <laughs> no, good for you so for you, writing you, it. You're, you're an old pro at this now. <laughs> so I just got to ask you about Jesus. We're talking about reality. The Bible is very clear in John 1, 1, that Jesus is the author of reality. He's the creator of all. Right. Colossians 1, 17 says he's the sustainer of reality. He sustains it all. In Matthew 26, Jesus himself claims before Caiaphas that he's going to be the judge of all reality. That, That's right. That he's the ultimate judge of it all. So what's the significance of Jesus in the story of reality? Well, I... I I think I gave you the five words. Uh, this is my third interview today, so sometimes I forget if I said it here or then, you know. But the five words that are backbone are God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection. And the way I described it earlier in summary, I said that God created the world and then man to be in friendship with him. But essentially, man got himself in a heap of trouble. He, he rebelled against God. And this created a huge problem. Um, not only was he rebelling against his sovereign, but he had broken trust and fealty with a friend. He had betrayed his own father. And all of these relational elements are involved. And therefore, not only is the king angry, but man owes a debt. He deserves to be punished for his rebellion. And uh, now what? Now, God could have just lowered the boom on man, which he did on the angels, by the way. There was no salvation plan for angels when they rebelled. But in the case of man, God became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth to initiate a rescue operation. So the key thing about Jesus is that he is the rescuer. He is the rescuer. That is, without Jesus, there is no rescue. Now, I understand that this is offensive to some people, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. But I think when they read the story of reality, they're going to see how it all fits together. Singular problems have singular solutions. And we are facing a very singular problem. That problem being that, that man owes a debt to God, all right, that man has to pay. The problem is that only God has the resources to pay it. And so what happened is God became a man so that the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, can do the job. He represents man to God and God to man. He stands in the middle. He's the mediator, and he makes a trade. And the trade took place on a small outcropping of rock outside the walls of ancient Jerusalem. The locals called it Golgotha, the place of the skull. But we know it as Calvary, the place of the cross. And on the cross, what he did, to put it simply is that he took all of our disgusting 
sin and evil on himself and the punishment that we deserve for it. And we then are able, by putting our trust in him, to take all of the wonderful, glorious merit that Jesus in his perfect holiness secured for us. That's the trade. It happened in the three hours that darkness shrouded the cross. The Father poured out his anger on Jesus, and Jesus finished the job. Ergo, he could say it is finished, but the Greek is to telesai. He's saying the bill has been completely paid. There's actually a, there's a, there's a cultural background to the use of that word. The bill has been paid. It's, it's, it's been canceled out. It's done with. We are freed. The Reformers called it the marvelous exchange. Uh, here's the way Paul characterized it. He said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He, the Father, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the trade that I'm talking about. And this is why Jesus is right at the center of everything. Because without him paying for our crimes against God, we would have to pay ourselves. And that would take forever. Mm. Greg, you've made such a, a solid biblical case for the gospel and how it, it just makes so much sense. Um, I wonder if I could switch gears and throw a couple objections at you. I know, I know you're sure. prob- probably not used to dealing with objections. <laughs> you've, only, you've only had a radio show for 27 years and <laughs> talked to audiences. But the first one is, is how do you deal um, with this backdrop with the problem of evil? Well, the reason that the problem of evil comes up is because it's so obviously a problem, okay? And I think that Christians have not realized, in a certain sense, the friend we have in the problem of evil. I mentioned earlier that one of the reasons I think that the Christian story is the story of reality is because it's the best explanation for the way things are. Now, we all know there's a problem of evil. We all know things are not the way they're supposed to be, okay? Um, and we all kind of know that we're involved in that. The world is broken, and we're broken, too, and those two are tied together, okay? And we also saw that the atheistic, materialistic worldview is not going to do you any good at all in even making sense out of the issue, nor is the, the monistic, Eastern religious, New Age view going to make sense out of that particular issue. And so, so the, the Christian in a certain sense, is in a unique place to provide a singular kind of answer, okay? Think of this, fellas. The, the story, rather, the, the biblical story is all about the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. It is not foreign to our story. It's why we have a story, and our story's not over yet. When you think about it, you, you pick up any book, any drama, right? You get halfway through, and then you com- complain. Look at this, man. People die. Or the bad guys are getting away, and this isn't resolved yet. What a dumb book. You say, wait a minute. You're only halfway through. Wait until you're finished to see if the author pulls it all together or not. Then pass your judgment. And by the same token, we are in the middle of our story. The, re- the problem of evil has not been resolved yet. It is on its way for being resolved, but, it, it, but there's a plan that God is working out to accomplish that particular end. And the plan entails a solution that is absolutely unique. Um, unique problems require unique solutions. And that is Jesus of Nazareth. 
the irony here is that the problem of evil and Jesus being the only way of salvation are both really big stumbling blocks for people. But what I try to show in the book, The Story of Reality, is that these aren't the problems that people think they are. They are, they are hit, they're, they're hinged together at the hip, so to speak. They, are, they, they work together with each other to resolve in the end, because Jesus is the one who solved the problem. He is the only one who did what was necessary to be done to solve the problem of evil, mm. which secures and resolves the brokenness of man first, and then at the very end, the brokenness of the world, where the world is restored. So for us, if we have a proper understanding of this, um, the problem of evil is not a problem. That makes uh, sense. It, it, just keep following the story. And, and if, if you're reading through the Bible, and that's a lot, 66 books, it's easy to get lost in the details. This is why I wrote the book, The Story of Reality, to kind of b bring you above the fray and help you to see the forest without getting lost in the trees. And when you see the forest, you realize how nicely this all works together so that the problem of evil is not the problem that people think it is for the Christian account of reality. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Greg, so this next question is actually from my daughter. I was leaving, leaving my house this morning for work, and um, I said, hey, I'm, I'm helping Nate interview Greg Kokel. And she said, are you serious? I said, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she came out to rethink and, and saw you there. And right. so I said, you got any questions? And she said, yeah, I got a question. Now, forgive me if this is a little off topic, but I have okay, to ask it right. because I, I know you have a daughter, and I apologize, but my daughter is the best daughter in the world, so <laughs> I apologize. Wait I a know. minute. Well, <laughs> <not> <laughs> mine, mine <laughs> okay, okay. That's a truth claim. Um, so she's asking she, at school. She's 17. She is a junior in high school, and one of the most common objections she gets is the mean God of the Old Testament challenge. That's what she calls it, the mean God of the Old right. Testament. So I don't know if I'm taking you in a d different direction, but... Um, no, no, it's quite all right, okay, because okay. It, it, does, it does relate to the coherence of the story, okay, how the, whole, the story holds together. Some people think, well, the Old Testament gives one picture of God, and then <clears throat> the New Testament gives another picture of God. Um, I think that's actually mistaken on the merits. I think this is based on selective readings. But I want you to think about something in, um, in John chapter 1. It says there that no one has seen the Father at any time, or, or God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. So whatever we see in Jesus in the New Testament is a revelation, a clearer characterization of the God of the Old Testament. And we, in it, right in that same section, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So here's the question. If Jesus is the, revealing the Father, and He is full of grace and truth, do we see God, the God of grace and truth, in the Old Testament? And the answer is, you see Him everywhere like that. Just think of the Ten Commandments. Do you never notice that when he says, uh, have no other gods before me, this is in Exodus chapter 20. He says, he says, because I'm a jealous God, you know, 
visiting the uh, iniquities of the fathers unto the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but to the thousandth generation of those who love me. Now, it's hyperbole. It's an, it's an exaggeration because what is being done there is God is saying, yes, God is, he cares about truth, okay? And so, man, you violate the truth. You go after other gods. Look out. But he is so much more gracious. That's why he has the third and fourth generation in the one case and then the thousandth generation in the other. And indeed, we see this time and time and time again. When Abraham uh, was given the promise in chapter 15 of Genesis that he, would be a, he was going to re- receive the land, even though the people would be for 400 years in slavery, it was because the iniquity of the Amorite was not complete yet. That's what the text says. Well, in other words, the people that were living in Canaan were really, really, really nasty. But God was going to be patient for 400 more years before he finally lowered the boom on those deeply evil people. Time and time. Look at Jonah. Jonah is reluctant to go to Nineveh because he knows that if these people relent, then God will forgive them, which is exactly what happened. And that's why he got all depressed at the end, you know, because of God's grace. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. Oh, this is all love and joy and peace and all that, except for you got the book of Revelation. (laughs) You know, like one-third of the people die in one plague (laughs) of the whole world. Oh, my gosh, you know, that's like, wow. So I think this distinction is not a distinction, and the confusion is because people are selective in their reading. It's the same God of the Old Testament as in the New Testament, full of both grace and truth. Both are in play in the life of Jesus and in the revelation of God from beginning to end. God is quick to forgive, and he is long-suffering. And we see that in the life of Jesus, and we see that in God all throughout the Scripture. So, Greg, kind of as we wrap up the show, i got to ask a question that I think is uh, bringing this home for us. So we're talking about the story of reality. That's the title of your newest book. Again, I encourage the audience to pick it up as soon as possible. And the story of reality is is the Bible itself. And the question that I want to ask is there are a lot of people that believe the story of reality in concept, but maybe that belief isn't working out in their lives. How important is it that we would really, really, really believe the story of reality and let this saturate everything that we do and say as believers and how we would communicate that to a world that desperately needs to hear it as well. Well, it it is critically important. So glad you asked the question. Um, I have a chapter in the book called Trust, and uh, I make clear that, that the concept of biblical faith is not the same as just believing that something is true. Look, I could believe that insulin can save me from a diabetic coma or whatever. I'm not sure how that works because I don't have diabetes. But you know, that's in there. It's important. But if I never take the injection when I need it, I'm going to die. I could believe with all my heart and soul. But if I never trust myself to it, then I'm going to die. And this is the difference between believing that and believing in. Um, There are people sitting in pews in churches every Sunday all over the country who believe all kinds of true things about Jesus, but they have never trusted him for a single thing, and this shows up in their lifestyle. 
You want to benefit from Jesus, you can't just believe about him. You've got to trust in him. You've got to, in a sense, climb on the plane, you know. Uh, that plane's going to Paris. Great. Well, you're staying here until you get on the plane. Mm-hmm. You get on the plane and you have a capable pilot, well, then you might make it to your destination. The same thing here. We have to put our trust in Jesus. That means getting on the plane, trusting in him, but trusting in him, as Lewis points out, C.S. Lewis, means also doing what he says to do. And if we are not living a kind of life that, that evidences that we trust Jesus, then it's probably a pretty good indication we don't really trust him. This, what you've asked here in this last question, is absolutely central to everything. Well, I want to I thank you for that, too, because um, I, I do some apologetics videos, and I absolutely shamelessly steal from your information and the difference between trust and faith, I've, I've mm-hmm. taken that information, so, so thanks for clarifying that. I think it's Yeah, it's, it's all great. in the book, and by the way, th- folks can go to str.org uh, to get the book. We've got lots of copies. Amazon keeps running out. I don't know where they're at right <laughs> now, but uh, we've got copies for uh, anybody who wants to get the book, str.org. Well, Greg, I'm just so thankful that you, you came on again. I know Grant is as well. It's been a privilege. Absolutely. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Thank you Grant. I, it's a privilege for me to talk with you guys again. So uh, a, as we close it out, what, what do you want to tell that person that's sitting there right now thinking, uh, I don't know if I want to spend a couple bucks and a couple hours on this book? What would you say? Well, this book has the potential to totally transform your life. And I'm not saying it because I'm the author. I'm saying it because I'm just summing up the story of reality that God is the author of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this presents uh, this story in a way that many people have never, never seen it before. It, it is completely orthodox. There is nothing, not a single thing that is novel or clever about my theology. It's rock-solid Reformed theology, okay? I mean, uh, theology of Protestants uh, in, 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 in the tradition of the Reformation is what I mean. <laughs> we, got, so, we got you. Uh, but if, <laughs> that's uh, just being careful so people don't misunderstand. But when, but Good when, clarification. Um, <laughs> but when people take this seriously, when they read it and they let it sink in and soak in, it is the truth of God's Word that I am communicating in other words, and that's why I have tremendous confidence that it will make such a difference in their life. They will see, I think, our story in a way they never did mm-hmm. before. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your work. Thank you so much for talking to us. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, yeah. Grant. Thanks, Greg. And i, I got to just remind the audience, I, tactics. I mean, we were talking about it today on campus. You know, I do a lot of evangelism with students, and I, this book comes up on a weekly basis in our ministry when we're encouraging people on how to handle things and yeah. what to do. I mean, we at a, at a retreat earlier this spring, we, we had a whole, a whole session on tactics and helping Good. people kind of learn how to use some of those approaches. And, I, you know, I'm just thankful because everything that you're doing is helpful on the ground. It's not just theoretical. It's not mm-hmm. just you know, a lot of information, but we get to use it on the ground, and, it, and it's helping us do ministry with real people on the ground. So thank you well, so much. Well, I, I, I really appreciate the feedback, and, and I do think, um, in my humble opinion, that the uh, story of reality and the tactics is really a great one-two punch. Mm-hmm. You lay the foundation with the story, and then you have the tactical approach to help explain That's the story to others to in a very it. powerful way. It's a great way to put it. Well, thank you again so much for coming on All right, God buddy. Solution. All right, we'll talk to you later. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Greg Kokel. You can get both of our interviews with him at godsolutionshow.com under past shows, 
Again, GodSolutionShow.com. And you can find out more about Greg Kokel at str.org. Again, str.org. And please do yourself a favor and pick up his book, The Story of Reality. And while you're at it, pick up Tactics as well, both amazing resources that Greg has put together. Grab those next time you get a chance. I promise you, you will not be let down. Well, the story of reality is really reality. It's really true. The Bible is not just what we believe because we want to believe it. It is actually reality, and it's the story of reality. And therein we find the solution to man's problems. See, man is sinful and separated from a perfect God. But Jesus, God in human flesh, paid the penalty for our sins by dying on the cross so that any who believe in him would be saved. If you've never taken that step to put your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, why wait another day? Do that now. You could even tell him right now in prayer, say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Please come into my life as my Savior and my Lord. I hope that you'll take that step today if you haven't already, and if you have, please share your faith with those around you. They need to know the hope that you have. This world is lost, and they need to know about the hope that we have in Jesus. Well, I hope that you're getting a lot out of this show and that this show is equipping you to share your faith with your friends and to answer questions that come up. Go to GodSolutionShow.com to get all of our past shows, and believe me, these shows will equip you to be able to defend your faith and to share your faith with those that desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'm so thankful that you're listening. Please go to GodSolutionShow.com and even make a donation to help keep the show on the air. Thanks so much for listening. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at GodSolutionShow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.